Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 24, the second part of several concerning the history of Canaan. Last week, I began the history of Canaan, thought to be the most mentioned area and people in the Old Testament. In that episode, I covered Canaan as it's found primarily in the Pentateuch. This week, I'm finishing the Canaan of the Bible so that we can move on to what's in the historical record. So let's get started. Canaan was of significant geopolitical, or at least regional political, importance in the late Bronze Age period. It was the area where the spheres of influence of the Egyptian, Hittite, Mitanni, and Assyrian empires converged. Also, similar to the Elamites and Sumerians previously covered, much of the knowledge about Canaan stems from archaeological excavation in this area. This occurred at sites such as Tel Hazor in extreme northeast Israel, Tel Migadu in north-central Israel, and Gezer, pretty much in the middle of present-day Israel. Now, perhaps something can be gained from understanding the origin of the name Canaan. The English word Canaan originally comes from the Hebrew via Greek and Latin. It appears as Ker Ken Anana in the Armana letters dated to the 14th century BC. I'll get to those letters in the near future, perhaps the next episode. It is also found on coins from Phoenicia in the last half of the first millennium BC. But as the word, hmm, well now that I look at it, I realize I can't pronounce it because it has no vowels. But it's spelled K-N apostrophe N. It first occurs in Greek in the writings of Hecateus Amilitus as the word Khan. Hecateus was a 5th century BC Greek historian and geographer. Curiously, he wrote a book titled Journey Around the Earth, of which only fragments survive. But historians have reconstructed a map from the surviving contents, and I'll post it on the podcast's Facebook page. It's interesting in that the world is a flat disk, with the outermost border being the oceans. Then there's the edge that falls off into a void. Scholars also connect the name Canaan to the general Northwest Semitic name for this region, Canaan. But going further back, the etymology becomes less certain. One early explanation derived from the Semitic root spelled Kn, meaning to be low, humbled, subjugated. Some scholars have suggested that this implies an original meaning of lowlands, in contrast with Aram, which would then mean highlands. Others have suggested it meant people who were subjugated as the name of Egypt's province in the Levant, and evolved into the proper name. An alternative suggestion put forward by Ephraim Agvidor Spicer, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, in 1936, derives from the Hurrian word Kenahu, referring to the color purple, so that Canaan would then, quite simply, mean the land of purple. Supporting this claim were tablets found in the Hurrian city of Nuzi, near the modern city of Kirkirk, Iraq. The tablets were found in the early 20th century and appeared to use the term Kinahu as a synonym for red or purple dye. This dye was made by the Kassite rulers of Babylon for murex shells as early as 1600 BC and seemed to be extremely difficult to produce. The production occurred on the Mediterranean coast and was done by Phoenicians. When you woke up today, I'm pretty certain you had no idea you would learn that. Murex, by the way, are sea snails that produce seashells 
that can be found down by the seashore on the Mediterranean. I'll post a picture. You know where to look. In fact, purple cloth became a renowned Canaanite export commodity. So much so that it warranted a mention in Exodus. Check it out. Chapters 25, 28, and 39. The dye was used in royal robes, other kinds of special ceremonial or ritual garments, or clothing indicating high rank. It is sometimes thought that the dye was the same dye that was featured prominently in the ancient temple in Jerusalem, specifically in the clothing of the high priest presiding there. It is sometimes still used in the Jewish faith today, in the ritual fringes on four-cornered garments. The dyes may have been named after their place of origin. The name Phoenicia is connected with the Greek word for purple, maybe referring to the same product, but it is difficult to state with certainty where the Greek word came from the name, or it could be the other way around. The purple cloth attire in Phoenicia was well known far and wide, and was associated by the Romans with nobility and royalty. But according to Robert Drews, a professor at Vanderbilt University, Spicer's proposal has generally been abandoned. And my apologies to Dr. Drew, I did just cite you, but you'll get no journal credit. And with that, back to Canaan we go. Canaan and the Canaanites are mentioned about 160 times in the Old Testament, mostly in the Pentateuch and in the books of Joshua and Judges. As such, the name was used to describe the area west of the Jordan River. Canaanites were described as people living by the sea and along the side of the Jordan, in Numbers chapter 33, verse 51, as well as Joshua chapter 22, verse 9. In Isaiah chapter 23, verse 11, it was associated with Phoenicia. The Philistines, while an integral part of the Canaan region, did not seem to have been ethnic Canaanites, as they were listed in the Table of Nations as descendants of Misraim. The Armenians, Mobites, Ammonites, Mennonites, and Edomites were also considered fellow descendants of Shem or Abraham and distinct from the Canaanites. To a certain degree, it seems that in the Bible the term Canaanite was more of a generic moniker. In the Table of Nations, Heth, father of the Hittites, is a son of Canaan. The later Hittites spoke an Indo-European language known as Nestle, but their forefathers, the Hattians, spoke a little-known language known as Hattili, of uncertain origin. Of course, we have seen how isolated languages were par for the course in this area in time, but then they would meld in with other languages as contact increased, going on to become something of more significance. Also, the Horites, formerly of the Mount Seir region, were implied to be Canaanites. The Hurrians lived in northern Mesopotamia and spoke an isolated language, and they were first thought by biblical scholars as similar to the Horites, though this is no longer the case. Like I mentioned before, the term Canaanites in biblical Hebrew is applied especially to the inhabitants of the regions along the coast of the Mediterranean and on the shores of the Jordan. But the term was not for the inhabitants of the mountainous regions. By the time of the Second Temple, Canaanite in Hebrew had come not to be an ethnic designation, but as a more general synonym for merchant, as it is interpreted, for example, in Job chapter 40, verse 30, and Proverbs chapter 31, verse 24. I'll get to that bit in future episodes. 
God later promises the land of Canaan to Abraham and eventually delivers it to the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites. Finally, in the Bible, the renaming of the land of Canaan as the land of Israel marks the Israelite conquest of the promised land. The Hebrew Bible lists borders of the land in Canaan. Numbers chapter 34 verse 2 includes the phrase, the land of Canaan as defined by its borders. Then the borders are further described in verses 3 through 12. Specifically, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the Israelites, and say to them, When you enter the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you for an inheritance, the land of Canaan defined by its boundaries. Your south sector shall extend from the wilderness of Zin along the side of Edom. Your southern border shall begin from the end of the Dead Sea on the east. Your boundary shall turn south on the ascent of Akrabim and cross to Zin, and its outer limit shall be south of Kadesh Barni. Then it shall go on to Hazar Adar and cross to Asmon. The boundary shall turn from Asmon to the Wadi of Egypt, and its termination shall be at the sea. For the western boundary, you shall have the great sea and its coast. This shall be your western boundary. This shall be your northern boundary. From the great sea, you shall mark out your line to Mount Hor. From Mount Hor, you shall mark it out to Lebo Hamath, and the outer limit of the boundary shall be at Zedad. Then the boundary shall extend to Ziphron, and its end shall be at Hazar Enon. This shall be your northern boundary. You shall mark out your eastern boundary from Hazar Enon to Shepham, and the boundary shall continue down from Shepham to Riblah on the east side of Ain. And the boundary shall go down and reach to the eastern slope of the Sea of Shinnereth. And the boundary shall go down to the Jordan, and its end shall be at the Dead Sea. This shall be your land with its boundaries all around. Now two things stick out for me in that text. Well, actually three things. The first is, I don't know where a lot of these places are, but we'll get to that in a minute. Next, it never clearly states if these boundaries include all of Canaan or just a portion of it. Finally, when it says the land of Canaan, I get the impression that it's more of a geographic region than a specific group of people. But I could easily be convinced that it refers to the people descended from a man named Canaan. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. And I'll save you the trouble of plotting the boundaries on the map of the area that I'm sure you keep handy by posting it on the podcast Facebook page. The Hebrew Bible describes the Israelite conquest of Canaan in the books of Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, and 1st and 2nd Kings. These six books of the Old Testament work through the narrative of the Israelites after the death of Moses and Joshua, leading them into the land known as Canaan. Similarly, Canaanite populations are said to have inhabited the Mediterranean coastlands as seen in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. This included Lebanon, corresponding to Phoenicia, as you can read in Isaiah chapter 23, verse 11. Also, what we currently refer to as the Gaza Strip corresponds with Philistia in Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 5. Finally, according to Joshua 11, Numbers 13, and Genesis 13, the Canaanites inhabited the Jordan Valley. The Canaanites are said to have been one of several regional ethnic divisions or nations driven out by the Israelites following the Exodus. Specifically, according to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, 
The other nations include the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jezubites. According to the Book of Jubilees, the proto-canonical book I have referred to a great deal, the Israelite conquest of Canaan is attributed to Canaan's steadfast refusal to join his elder brothers in Ham's allotment beyond the Nile, and instead essentially squatting on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean, with the inheritance designated for Shem. Canaan thus incurs a further curse from Noah for disobeying the agreed apportionment of land. This, of course, goes along with the initial curse. Then, one of the 613, I'll call them rules, others say laws or commandments, of the Old Testament was that no Canaanites were to be left alive. This also included the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. The specific passage can be found starting in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16. You may or may not have noticed that the Girgashites and other sons of Canaan, grandsons of Ham, were associated with these people in the table of nations, but not on this list. I could find no reasonable explanation as to why this was the case. But I do have two purely speculative hypotheses. First, maybe they had left the area or were already annihilated. Or maybe they had been absorbed into another ethnic group. Or perhaps they had aided the Israelites at some point and therefore gained favor. Wait, that's four speculations. Oh well, who's counting? The Bible draws a sharp contrast between the Canaanites from the ancient Israelites, but some modern scholars, such as Jonathan Tubb of the British Museum and Mark Smith of the Princeton Theological Seminary, have theorized that the kingdoms of Israel and Judah were a subset of the Canaanite culture based on their archaeological and linguistic interpretations. But then again, these are just theories. And to wrap up this episode, the word Canaan is used only three times in the New Testament, twice in Acts in chapters 7 and 13 when paraphrasing Old Testament stories. It was also used in the exorcism of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. This story is told by both Matthew and Mark, but Matthew in chapter 15 uses the actual word Canaanite, where Mark in chapter 7 calls the woman a Syrophoenician. Syrophoenician is only used in this one place in the entire Bible, and perhaps means that the woman was of a mixed ethnicity, half Phoenician and half Syrian. Or, maybe more likely, the Phoenicians in this region may have been called the Syrophoenicians because they belonged to the Roman province of Syria and were thus distinguished from the Phoenicians who lived in Africa, also known as the Carthaginians. So that's how the Canaanites are presented in the Bible. Join me next week when I'll begin their history as understood from the historic record. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. And if you're enjoying the podcast, you can also subscribe to it so that you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Finally, go to iTunes and give the podcast a positive review. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.